0: good morning Ah, good um now i have to admit when i was given the title powerful god i kind of thought that's okay i can deal with that and then of course we've seen what power can do this week so i have been rearranging this a little bit on and off um for the last few days but actually i don't think it changes the basic message of what i'd already prepared um so i'm going to start off You know, a couple of weeks ago, Ben looked at how our vision of God affects us in many ways. And Steve, last week, was looking at um, the wisdom of God. And obviously, you know, that's today, as I say, we're looking at um, a powerful God. Also from Isaiah. And it's also the same passage, or not the same passage, but the same chapter that Steve was looking at last week. So we're in Isaiah 40. Starting at verse 15. Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him, all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. With With whom, then, will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? As for an idol, a metal worker casts it and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. A person too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. They look for a skilled worker to set up an idol that will not topple. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. And its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown. No sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither. And a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? Who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name? Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? So I thought, first off, we'd talk a little bit about power. Um, and, you know, in some ways, that's what we see. is electricity, is power. Um, and for those that were affected last week by the, the storm, you know, I have at least one friend near the airport who was without power for nearly 24 hours. We notice it when it's missing. Um, but actually, how do we assume that power works? when we're not talking about something like that. You know, we see nations, we see empires, and we assume that that is what power is about. We assume that it's kind of power over other people. That actually, it's the power to get your own way. It's the power to control. That's how we often see power as being. We see it as a use of force, And we see God as being so big that we assume that he can do that so much better than others. You know, we see that he can weigh mountains. He can measure oceans with his hand. He's not a little God. This is a God that is above everything, over all. And we assume that the way that we use power on this world is the way that he uses it too. There's a phrase that's called zero sum. And it basically means that if I've got this ice cream, you can't have it. Okay? If I've got power, you can't have it. The ultimate end ends up at one, if you take your numbers. And we see power like that. If I've got this space of land, you can't have it. If I want it, I need to take it from you. That's how we see power. But actually, God doesn't see it like that. God doesn't see power like that. And we see it in this passage. We see it in lots of places in the Bible. It's what they call positive sum. Now, actually, as many of you know, I play piano. Um, Not well enough to teach it. But if I were, then... If I were to teach someone else piano, that is not a zero-sum exercise. I don't lose the ability to play piano because I have taught someone else to do it. And, you know, we don't think of power like that, but actually, I think that's how God does think of it like that. I crochet, number one. I have taught my daughter to crochet, and she has produced this. This is an unfinished blanket that she's doing. She's learned a massive amount from YouTube, she's learned a little bit from me. I haven't lo- lost the ability to crochet because I have taught her that. Our household is gaining because of it. At some point, this blanket will be lurking around our house probably half under my feet but that's another another story and the bottom line is we both gain from that type of passing on things and as god demonstrates his power to us he doesn't lose out as he demonstrates his power because god does it through love Um, Now, we've probably all heard the phrase that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And I absolutely believe that in the hands of humans, if we're not careful. But I do not believe that that is how it works with God. Um, I read the book um, Playing God by Andy Crouch. Um, And I'm going to use a reasonably longish quote um, because I think it actually really explains what's going on. We sometimes forget that actually parents have absolute power over their children when they're very tiny. Maybe not the power to get them to sleep at three in the morning, but, you know, in all other ways, in many ways. And he says in this book, why are the vast majority of parents, and he acknowledges there are exceptions to this, not corrupted by their tremendous power? And it's because they are overtaken by love they find themselves viscerally committed to another. He says, I remember looking at my son playing in his room one day in his first year of life and realising with a jolt that if he were to run out into the street in front of a bus and the only way to save him was to throw myself in front of the bus pushing him out of the way, I would do it in a heartbeat without even thinking. So deep, so instinctual, so total is my love for my son, I would give up all my powers that he might survive and thrive. So would almost every parent, especially in those early days when our children are most dependent upon us. It is an almost precise inversion of Lord Acton's observation. The more power we have over children, the more we are willing to sacrifice for them. Love transfigures power Absolute love transfigures absolute power. And power transfigured by love is the power that made and saves the world. In 1 John, John says you know that God is love. The type of power that God has is transformed by love because he is love. So how does God use power? If we go back to my passage, because I realise I've been ignoring it for the last five minutes or whatever. um, We look at the heavens and we see how God displays power. Um, This is a photo taken by Tim. And I hope you can't see them as well as you can on my screen. Um, There were thousands of... Billions of stars in the sky that night. And as we look up to them, we were looking down at the fire, but as you look up to those stars, you can see each of them. We see that God uses his power to keep that created order going. That's not like human power, he gives to us constantly. God even checks that the stars are still there in verse 26. He names each of them. As humans, the scientists number the stars. Because we don't really care about them, we just are interested in them. You know, you kind of just number the stars, but God cares enough to name the stars. We often struggle to remember people and people's names, and I am really bad at it. But actually, we see that God cares And he cares about the individuals. And he cares about the individuals that are struggling now. Um, God doesn't force things on people. And we mustn't force things on people. That is not God's way. The thing is, and I think the thing that we find the hardest, or I find hardest, is that because God doesn't force things on people, it means he also doesn't force people to do good things either. It has to come from a place of choice. So when we look at both verse 18 and verse 25, and I think Steve had it in his passage last week as well, it asks, what can we compare God to? And I think as Isaiah's writing this, it's very clear he, he he's run out of words. He starts to repeat himself, because he's like, so what can we compare him to? We'll try this. What can we compare him to? We'll try that. God is so big and so powerful and yet it's power that's transformed by love and the thing is that as we look at him him being big him being powerful isn't the reason to worship him it's because he loves he loves you and he loves me and he loves those in russia and he loves those in the ukraine and he loves those everywhere in the world So looking at the nations, we see in Genesis 11 that nations are in place to restrain sin. It stopped everybody getting together to rebel against God, putting in place different languages. And we've had to learn to work together across that. In verse 15, we see that the nations are huge. And yet God counts them like they're dust. And then we see in the next little phrase, the islands, God counts them, they're fine dust. God doesn't distinguish between the huge and the small. He's interested in both. He's interested in the enormous nations. He's interested in the teeny tiny little islands. He's interested in those that have human power and he's interested in those that don't. And God sees them the same. You know, if I go out and look on the beach, I don't worry about whether that's a big grain of sand or a little grain of sand. It's just a grain of sand. God sees us the same. And the fact that he's interested in everything is something that we always have to remember. Remember? Empires, rulers, nations—they are small in God's sight. They will turn like uh, turn to dust, like chaff. It says. Our time scale is very, very different from God's. Um, and yet, we hold on to this f- thing about nationalism. We hold on to this is the nation that we belong to. This is the nation that we want to follow. You know, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't be. You know, happy to be in whichever nation we are part of. But actually, putting that above God is always bad. But we get caught up in this and we go with the, my nation is right and theirs is wrong. We go with the, you know, I can or my nation can harm their nation because we're right. And we see this all the time. And I think this week it's really been highlighted um and yet god loves all the rulers and authorities can feel so big and yet this is something i think we can hold on to that god will hold them to account and god knows that those rulers those authorities are nothing compared to him he doesn't control what nations do but he will hold them to account And we can't feel smug in this nation. We don't have to look back very far in our history. You know, and I think we have to remember that God works through nations to bring about his purposes. But he doesn't cause the evil that nations at times do. No nations are hidden from God. None are too big to be held accountable nor too small. And I think this is something that really struck me this week, that God sees everybody. And, you know, I know that. And, you know, I've been saying it for a long time to myself, but I still sometimes think I forget it. When we look at verse 27, Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Sometimes we see nation-level or big corporate whatever to actually be too big and they'll never be held accountable god will hold them to account because he sees them he sees what they do he also sees those who are the victims and whilst you know at this point they're saying you know you're not listening to us god actually the point of this is that god is saying i am listening your cause is not disregarded I do care, says God. I care about the victim. He cares about the perpetrator too, but he will still bring them to account. He will still hold people to account. Our concerns are never hidden from God. So I suppose we kind of have to ask, you know, that's all the big stuff. But I have no control or no say-so in many ways over what goes on in our world. I have my say-so in my little, my little area of reach. And you have your say-so and your power in your little area of reach. And I think maybe this week, may more so, but it's something that I've thought about a lot in the past as well. You know, we've seen what human power can do. We've seen it in Auschwitz. We've seen it in the Ukraine this week. We have seen it in so many places. You know, I've seen it in people that have been hurt by families, by parents, by all of different things. That's what human power can do. It can do amazing good too. But the thing is, that is not how God uses power. Um, We've seen what happens this week when humans want to control others. That's not how God uses power. We've seen what happens when I see their nation as being an enemy. That's not how God uses power. That's not how he sees the nations. It's not how he sees people. We have a beautiful picture of God in Jesus but we also have a beautiful picture of God as we look around the room. We are made in God's image. Every single one of us. And actually, as we look around, do we want to treat people as the image of God? Do we want to treat each and every person that we see on the news as the image of God? Do we pray for all of them? Do we pray for both sides, that God will work on both sides? Not to bring victory and squash other people, because that's not how God uses power. Do we pray that God, who came as the Prince of Peace, will bring his peace into the lives of our next door neighbours, and into the lives of our nations next door, and into the lives of our nations that are further away. We all have a certain amount of power. And how do we use that? We all have our own little sphere of influence. And to most of us it doesn't feel very big, and at times it will feel almost non-existent. But we do have a certain amount of say-so am I using the power that I have in my life in the way that God uses power? Or am I trying to control? Am I seeing it as, I want that and you've currently got it so I'm going to take it? Or am I seeing it as, actually I have the power to share this love. I am going to share that and it, it multiplies. And I think one of the things, just as Stuart comes back, we're looking at this, is you know, am I using my power in the way that God uses his? And if we're feeling completely helpless, remember that God has given us a way of tapping into the power that he holds and to use it in the way that he uses it. And that power is prayer. He's given us that route to be able to actually communicate with the God who is above the nations the God who sees all of the nations as dust and yet he still cares enough to hold them accountable and to want to be with them so I'm gonna let Stuart take over and I'm just gonna pray for us as we finish Lord we pray that we would see power in the way that you do That we would see your love that flows through the way that you just bring out all that is going on in the world because you can see what you've, you can see your love for the people. Help us to love and help us to use the ability you've given us to have some say so in this and pray. Thank you, Lord, that you are love. Amen.